Yeah, and you can guess, like, oh, sure, maybe Billy's mad because he's black, but he he needs to, like, okay, he doesn't need to be, like, racist, but, I mean, to make it meaningful, to make it be, like, yes, they talked about it. He needs to say something about it. It needs to be obvious. It needs to be in your face because that's the reality of being black in America. Like, it's in my face every fucking day. Okay, we're recording. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have my alcohol. I actually, nice. okay, I'm not going to lie. Uh, I, I I was going to save my impression of this for when we were recording because I've never tried it before and the flavor title is very interesting. But um, for those listeners who don't know, we're having some doggy issues before and <laughs> frankly, I needed a drink. So I took a swig already. Um, <laughs> but it's called, I thought when I was at the store, I thought I said gaping something. Can you read this? Because I cannot. Uh, I can't even really. The logo. I know it's back. It's backwards for you, isn't it? No, it's 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 regular. Well, I found out it's sapling serves, but it just in the way it's written, it looks like gaping to me. Um, and the 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 flavor title is grapefruit hibiscus, and it's a cider. Ooh. So I was like, oh, I have to try this, and it's interesting. I'm definitely getting more grapefruit than hibiscus because it has it's like a little sour but it actually has a lot of alcohol percent like don't let me drink this whole thing because this is 8.5 percent okay well i'm not with you so wait well (laughs) vocally don't let me it's it's half a liter i can't do that anyway before we start in earnest i would like to hear and i'm sure some of our listeners would like to hear about your recent little covid vacay it was fine. Uh, the weather was not that great, which is upsetting. I hold on. Where beef. did you go, honey? Oh, we went to Phoenix, Arizona. <laughs> with who? With my bestie, and that's my best friend. She's who? A real bad bitch, Morgan. Who? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm not. Um. So we went to Phoenix. The weather was not great. Um. I got some beef with Phoenix, Arizona, because that was not what I signed up for. It was warmer in Milwaukee than it was in Arizona. So that's cool. Yeah. It rained. Um, There was clouds. The only like nice day that we had was Sunday and we did a hike, which was great. Um, But yeah, it kind of sucked that our last day there was the only nice weather we got, but that's okay. It was still nice to just like hang out and, you know, do some outdoors and and just like we love Arizona, so I mean we love Arizona when it's nice. <laughs> it was probably Jesus punishing you for something bad you did. I can't think of anything bad I've ever done in my whole life, though. Ugh. <laughs> Maybe it's because you're a woman. <laughs> right, right, right. The cards are already stacked against me. <laughs> Two women just trying to have platonic fun out in the desert. God was like, God, mm. God said, mm, no, <laughs> not today. <laughs> there should be a, a plural word of ma'am because I don't think ma'ams is accurate. It just sounds like something that should have a plural. It's not, but I feel like I'm going to start saying it. No ma'am. Ma'ams. No ma'am. <laughs> ma'am. Um, <laughs> as for my recent uh, I guess excursions in the mm-hmm. last week since our last recording. Mm-hmm. 
I did go on a second date. Yeah. Like with, I discussed. Uh, FaceTime guy from the first episode. We're just going to drop his name at this point because. Well, what if he's spoiler, not that? Spoiler, I have a third date on Thursday. Anyway, uh, I, I'm just going to say his first name. I'm sure I'll be fine with it. His name is Nick. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I. Nick. Yeah, like new girl nick sure yeah i've only seen probably like three episodes of new girl the only one i like distinctly remember is there's one where um oh god what's her name jess mm-hmm. i know it's bad uh <laughs> jess cannot say the word penis oh when she sees nick's penis yeah Yeah. and she can't she can't say it so she's like she says all these synonyms she goes like bonjour les pines (laughs) (laughs) she says new girl is one of my favorite shows ever like i I freaking love that show i just never got into it but you know i like like my brand of humor like the the shit that makes me really laugh is weird things like broad city and it's always sunny in philadelphia Oh gosh. <laughs> I love Broad City, but I feel like it's always sunny is like outside of my realm of humor. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty wild. Anyway, I don't even know how we got on this tangent. My date, my second mm-hmm. date, I went down to his turf in DC. Ooh. Um, it, it's kind of funny because uh he made, you know, he made pretty good plans. He made a reservation Ooh. for outdoor seating at this place. It was farm to table. Ooh. I made fun of him a little bit because I was like, that is the most DC thing I've ever heard in my life. Let's go to a farm to table <laughs> restaurant moment. Um, and it was good. Like the food was good. However, and I, I actually told him because uh, I think he's he's feeling a little too bad about it. Um, even though we had a very good time, like the whole time and after dinner, he's feeling bad because it was windy. Mm. Like windy to the point where our menus flew off the table. It was windy and a little colder than expected because we're, it was a sunny day, but the sun was setting and we were in the shade of a building, like a tall building. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was a little, it was nippy and it was windy, but I don't, I feel like, a, I'm not to like, I'm not like other girls myself, but I feel like a lot of people would be hypercritical of that and be like, oh my God, this day is the worst. But like, neither of us had control of that and I'm just trying to like take it as it is and like I said it's like our own little meme now like I made a joke today through texting where I was like oh my god the wind she's like an evil presence always chasing us or something um so we had we had that and then we went back to his place because he told me he had Mario Party and I said we need to get on that so we played Mario Party for like three hours oh my god (laughs) it's a very good bonding thing to do because it's not like totally totally it's it's just the perfect I don't know it's kind of the perfect date game because it's super casual but also competitive but not too competitive yeah and it's full of like bright fun colorful characters so it was it was good we had a little kissy kiss Mm. we had a little kissy kiss Um, and then I went home and yeah I have another date on Thursday we're going to make tacos together on Thursday. I think that's what we decided. Oh, shoot. Mm-hmm. Cute. <laughs> so, yeah. Sounds amazing. Congrats. We'll Congrats you to you and Nick. 
Oh, thank you. I'll talk about date three on episode. Three. Oh my God, the dates are corresponding with our episode. Oh God, okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about media. Yeah, so today, I mean, obviously, as we've talked about before, we are two marginalized human beings. <laughs> okay, I don't so we wanna, have a lot to say. I don't want to pull a chat. I'm not, I'm virtually not oppressed at all. I'm still a cis white man. <laughs> But yes, I am a homosexual and I have been oppressed in the past. Yes. So we wanted to talk today about <laughs> bad media representation on behalf of our like identities, I suppose you could say, and just talk about how much they exhaust us because that's what this is all about, isn't it? Yes, we have, um, we have different tropes that we're going to go through. We're going to oh, switch yeah. off here. So it's not just like, a wall of me talking and a wall of Ely talking. Uh, I do think it's important to say though, I debated this before we were recording internally, but I feel like it's important for me to say. So in terms of like where I stand, obviously I am not, so I am a cis white gay man. I do not intend on speaking on behalf of the other letters in the LGBT plus acronym, mm -hmm. I am going to rope those representations into my discussion of mm -hmm. LGBT representation as a whole, but I do not mean to speak for those groups. I don't identify as LB or T or plus, but I think it's important to point out because I don't think it's interesting for me to just specifically talk about gay male representation because also that would in a way be exclusionary in its own right. So I just wanted to point that out. I mean, yeah, I'm also um, Black and Latinx. So I'll mostly be talking about, actually, I'll probably mostly be talking about Black um, media, media representation because I feel like that's something that's at like the forefront of my identity. And it's just kind of like the identity that I feel is abused the most that I represent. Um, but I do lightly cover some other BIPOC issues, but I obviously only represent two identities in the spectrum that is Black, Indigenous, people of color, so. Yes. Yes. Would you like to start? Sure, What's okay. the thing that, is there one thing that just really grinds your gears every time, all the time? <laughs> like, what are you most itching to, to complain about, dissect, et cetera? Um, well, I actually wanted to, start by kind of talking about like I guess something that was like recently brought to my attention that I never really realized before but it's just about how like black women in particular are often like portrayed as emotional outlets for white or non-black people in the media and this was only really brought to my attention because it's something that's like kind of been happening in my life where I felt like I'm just like the person that a lot of people have been like unloading on and I just was just I've been talking to people about it and now I'm starting to realize that this is something that like is not just unique to my situation that it's like actually portrayed in tv and movies literally all the time and the more I think about it the more it makes sense so we often like see black women as like the best friend the sassy best friend helpful teacher parents um mental health specialists and they're basically just used as like sideline characters for 
whoever the main character is to kind of like unload on. And usually that person's not black themselves. And I feel like now what's the saying? Like life imitates art, imitates life. Like now my life is starting to imitate these forms of art that have chosen to use black women as like therapists, as friends who serve no other purpose purpose than to like serve their main character, I guess you could say. Yeah. I don't know. That's just what's been on my mind lately. And we can dive deeper into that because we're obviously going to talk about the issues with Marvel, but (laughs) that's to get us started. You know, why don't we just talk about it now? Yeah. I mean, might as well. And we love Marvel. Oh, we love Marvel. And this is why we're talking about it because we love and appreciate what they've been doing in the MCU and how the MCU has grown. But But. I got beef. (laughs) Kevin Feige at me. (laughs) Spill it. Tell Kevin. Okay, Kevin. Um, (laughs) I mean, here's the thing. I just feel like it's very obvious. I mean, well, no, it's it's a thing like think about every single marvel character that's in the mcu aside from like t'challa they have a person of color as like their sidekick or their bestie or like something and it's just like they don't like nobody was in the room to be like ah maybe we could give this person a different role or like maybe we could switch it up like it just it drives me crazy like you could literally name anyone again aside from t'challa that's in the mcu and they have a black or brown best friend it's true. Um, Tony has Rhodey. Has Rhodey. Cap has Sam. Has Sam. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's just, it's frustrating. It's not original. It's not cute. It's not funny. <laughs> it's not who we are. Yeah. So I guess I wanted to bring this up now because obviously uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier is premiering this week. And I, have been thinking about it a lot, like how I'm, I'm just so interested to see if Anthony Mackie approaches like how he plays Sam differently now because he's not the black best friend anymore. I mean, he kind of is, but he's now a main character. So I'm just interested to see what they do with that. And I mean, I, I don't know enough about Anthony Mackie to see how much like being a black man influences his work, but I'm regardless, I'm still interested to see what happens. Um, and how he's portrayed now that he's kind of one of the leads not kind of he is one of the leads his name is right there in the show (laughs) (laughs) so what are your thoughts on Monica Rambeau as introduced in the recent WandaVision show I mean I was very happy to see Monica come back now as an adult um, because she was introduced in uh, Captain Marvel which is cute um but I was just a little disappointed because I feel like they set her up to be like a bigger part than she actually was and like now we know that there were some scenes where like our golden trio was supposed to play a bigger part in the finale and they got cut um and I feel like they potentially left the ending open enough that like maybe she'll come back with a bigger role I just feel like they're doing the same thing here again like she was literally used as like an emotional she was just used as like an emotional backpack for Wanda and like 
did nothing else almost. I mean, like we all know who she is in the comics and like we know how strong she actually is. So like we didn't really get to see a lot of that. Like we didn't get to see her as, I mean, we did, but we didn't like really get to see her as the hero, Um, which I get. It's not uh, Monica Vision. It was WandaVision. (laughs) I mean, like don't bring Monica up in here and set all this stuff up just to have her be like, oh, look, some bullets went through her and like that be it. (laughs) Okay, well, this is the difficulty though with, a huge not even just a huge but probably the hugest and most interconnected franchise that has ever existed is there's lots of setting up all the time that's what's hard like with any talking about any sort of even like character development in the mcu is well, it's like we don't know thing. what the I hell feel is like coming they didn't develop her character enough like her whole thing was like her mom died and that they just kept like pushing that and she didn't really go anywhere with that. Like, I just wish we could have gotten more of her like throughout the, the show. I mean, I know there were a lot of different focuses and blah, blah, blah. But like, again, we're talking about black people being represented in the media and this didn't do it for me. <laughs> yes. Speaking of Marvel, mm-hmm. this is hard yeah. for me. This is hard for me. Cause I, Tilda Swinton is my favorite actress. Oh God. Did you want to talk about Dr. Strange? I mean, again, I'm not an Asian person, so I can't say, you know, wholeheartedly how like upsetting this is, but it's just, again, like Marvel doing the same crap. And then when people call them out on it, they just brush it off or it's like, oh, well, she was a great performer. Like, yeah, no shit. She was a great performer. But like, at the end of the day, you whitewashed an Asian character and that's fucked up. Like, yeah, this is my issue is that like people say that they're allies and they want to like support BIPOC issues and things like that. But then when we tell you like, oh, you kind of did something wrong. It's like, oh, but ah, ah." (laughs) like people just never want to accept criticism on their own projects, which I mean, it's fine. But then like, don't say that you're, you know, down with the movement or whatever, if you're not actually going to be down for every aspect of it. Well, yeah. And I definitely think they... And when I say they, I mean, just like the nebulous producers and suits at Disney Marvel. I feel like they probably told themselves, oh my God, we're doing something so progressive. We're casting a woman in a role that was traditionally male. And I think they went a step further and they were like, oh, like the ancient one is genderless. I'm like, okay. But at the end of the day, you whitewash the character. And also at the end of the day, I do think that, I feel like, actors celebrities in general but actors in this context they kind of have a unique privilege where like yes like an actor acts and like they need to get work but if you're someone big enough to to be considered to be cast in something like a marvel film or a star wars film or dc i feel like you have the privilege to turn something down because if you're that big like you're gonna be fine of course and they're turning stuff down left and right anyways so that they can fit these types of films with their schedule and so it is disappointing because ideally it's like okay send a message by turning down this role and it actually verily it very rarely happens and if it does happen it's they're not turning it down it's it's like they 
they they uh what's the word they walk they get, away like, from pressured it or they get pressured criticism it. yeah aka yeah. scarlett johansson when she was gonna play uh, a trans uh, man uh, uh, um uh, uh, yeah well at the end of the day it's like yeah you could be taking an opportunity away from an actual person of color and then if you're supposedly an ally you're also in the media talking about how we need to give people of color more opportunities so it's just and i feel the same way about the whole we'll get to this like i have more to say on this in a little bit but it, it's similar to straight actors that come on and they're like, I'm gonna play a gay character. Yeah. But I'm not gonna have any love scenes. I'm not gonna know none of that. <laughs> but I'm gonna play a gay character. But we'll yeah. get to that. <laughs> just speaking of Marvel, um, now since we're just on it, might as well have a little Marvel fest here. I do have an issue with queer baiting, mm-hmm. which has occurred in Marvel. Oh, yeah. Um, Cap and Bucky, hello. It's just, it's tough. It is tough. A lot of this is tough. And I'm probably going to say that 50 more times, but it's kind of like how all of us watching WandaVision, we're grafting on these insane theories um, and getting a little out of hand and then being disappointed because of that in the show. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I get that in, in many respects, like the internet goes crazy for Cap and Bucky. <laughs> And they, they're grafting meaning onto it that might not necessarily exist super coherently. However, they know, and they have known, <laughs> they have known since like for a couple of years now. And it's actually kind of sad um, if you want to get really analytical about this. I think it peaked in Civil War, which was 2016. Mm-hmm. Like the tension was kind of red hot there. And you have to you have to examine it from a character perspective too. Like Cap is doing is is going through hoops and all the shit for just for Bucky. And it's like, and for what? So when yeah. you start looking at it, it's like, okay, what is the what? Is right. it an underlying queer romance that we don't know about? But that was kind of the peak of it. And then the internet went ablaze with all of this. And if you've noticed since then, it's kind of in crickets and I think it's kind of sad because I think Marvel was like oh we can't have this we can't be having that mm-hmm. so we need to we need to separate that and they right. haven't really been together a lot on screen no. um I think the most was Infinity War and that was maybe like four minutes of screen time oh yeah and even like I mean spoiler alert like even when they reveal that like Cap comes back as an old man or whatever like Bucky isn't you the mean as Joe Biden like- <laughs> Looks just Literally like him, I swear to God. <laughs> Looks just like him. Yeah, I mean, so like when Cap comes back as an old man, like I was even a little surprised that like Bucky offered Sam to go up to him first and like didn't say anything about it. And then they didn't, like I was hoping they would have some type of like emotional goodbye or something. Like they've been besties for literally a hundred years. And like, yeah, Cap did so much, sacrificed so much for Bucky and then it was just like oh Sam look yeah <laughs> there's our guy <laughs> bye yup and speaking yeah. of Captain Marvel I think we're being queer baited there too that one's hard to tell because she's only had one move like one point <laughs> point one movies because she was barely in um Endgame but oh yeah I, I that one again also tough because Brie Larson on from what I can tell like on the Twitters and social media whatnot she's kind of like she's 
tweeted pictures of Captain Marvel and Valkyrie together, like illustrations, um, Captain Marvel with rainbow flag. So like the star is partaking in this. And I think it's a little irresponsible to be doing that if she knows that that's not actually going to be happening with her character. Right. Well, um, especially I, if you know how the fan base is, like, you know, that the fans are going to cling on to this because that's just like what we do. And it, yeah, it is a little reckless and irresponsible to give like some sense of false hope if that's not how it's going to be. Exactly. And I'm placing a gigantic asterisk on her for now because we haven't seen a lot of her. She has a sequel coming. The mm-hmm. sequel is the most excited I've been for an MCU film since Endgame, just because of the possibility, you're making a face, just because of the <laughs> possibilities. It could hold. I know that the first one was mediocre. It was, but the second one is an all new team. We're going to have yeah, Monica. We're going to have Miss Marvel is going to be. Well, in. and think about we what they did with Thor. Yet. Think about what they did exactly. with Thor too. Like that completely flipped around once they got like new people behind it. So I, I should keep yeah. more of an open mind. <laughs> yeah. And I really think, I mean, maybe... I'm getting too excited. I haven't even seen uh, Nia DaCosta's Candyman because that's been pushed back because of the pandemic. But I'm just like, mm-hmm. that looks super dope. So we'll see. And maybe, maybe there's something. I think there have also been rumblings that Valkyrie herself in Thor Love and Thunder is going to have some sort of queer content. So maybe that could, I don't know, man. We'll have to see. It's hard to talk about these things because this, marvel's like never ending um right <laughs> but i do i do have another quick example of queer baiting finn and poe from the star wars sequel trilogy oh god that's that, another yes. clear example yeah oh my god and again hard because the internet also like the internet partook in hyping that up but it wouldn't have existed if the chemistry wasn't there and oh, again sure. control your like honestly control your stars because <laughs> oscar isaac and um why am I forgetting his name? John Boyega. John Boyega, yes. Oh my God. Uh, they both in interviews were playing so coy or just straight up being like, oh yeah. Yeah, they like I just think that that's irresponsible. And it and yeah, they're queer baiting themselves. And it's just frustrating because it's mm-hmm. it you hype up, you know, like I can take it, but think about like, I don't know, there are there's a whole bunch of 12-year-old gays all over mm-hmm. the world, all over the country. Yeah, that would like they see these interviews or whatnot and they're like, oh my God. And they get hyped because they oh, don't yeah. know any better. It's just irresponsible. It, it seems like they're toying around with like the idea of that representation and they don't really understand how like truly important that is to like, like you said, like those little 12 year old gays who are too scared to come out or who wa- like want to see themselves on TV. Like they're just playing around with it and they don't realize how dangerous and reckless that is and how disappointing it is to just like not give you know someone who's hoping for something and seems to be like being is being encouraged that like this is going to happen for them is it doesn't happen exactly and let's acknowledge the reality here in both of those franchises let's start with marvel they've had 23 films and one tv show the most lgbt representation like outright that we've ever had is fucking one of the directors of Endgame making a cameo in a counseling session talking about his husband going away in the blip. (gasps) That's literally the most we've had. You're right. And in Star Wars, we got a fucking 
lesbian kiss that lasted for four frames at the end of Rise of Skywalker that was also hyped up by by J.J. Abrams in interviews saying, oh, we have LGBT representation. One no. kiss. Oh my Do you God. remember that? It was one kiss between two pilots unnamed at the end of Rise of Skywalker. That's the best we have from two of the biggest franchises in the world. I Are you kidding that. me? Oh that shit God. pisses me off, honestly. Yeah. And no, you know how it's... much I love both of them, but I got to call them right. shit. Of course. Yeah. Very. Oh, that's so cringy that they hyped it up to just be. <laughs> I don't I didn't watch any like interviews or anything with J.J. Abrams, so I don't know like what he said, but that's he's so awful. proud of himself. I mean, of course, he's a straight white man who of works course. in Hollywood. He's like, oh, wait till you see. Right. That's the <laughs> thing that's pissing me off, too, is they probably thought like creating tension with like Finn and Poe, they were like, yeah. <laughs> and then and then Finn ends up having not one, but two love interests in Rise of Skywalker. Oh one of God. which it just never reciprocated and was kind of sad because Ray was like, oh, hey, Kylo. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's not get into this. Yeah, let's, not, uh, <laughs> let's move on to what what is another trope that, that ticks you off on your list? <laughs> Um, okay, actually, so I only kind of thought about this recently because I've been reading this book called Hood Feminism. Well, I've, I've been reading. I started it yesterday and got like halfway through it because it was so good. But um, I've been reading Hood Feminism and something that's brought up has been um, about like the myth of the strong black woman. And it's like basically brought up to kind of make white people more comfortable with the idea of racism, like to make them think like, oh, black women can handle racism because they're stronger or because they're better. And it's like, okay, sure. Yeah, I am better. But like, (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. The blueprint. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, look at the material. (laughs) (laughs) But um, it's like, it just makes them feel more comfortable knowing that like racist shit is happening to black women because they think, oh, well, she's strong. She can take it. And I feel like that's like perpetuated. And I I also just don't like the term like, or like the phrasing that's like strong women do this. Cause I feel like that implies that there are like weak women. And I get, I, I, I put this in my notes. Like, of course there are Candace Owens and there are Tommy Lahrens and but like I, at the end of the day, like the obstacles that they've over that they've had to overcome as w- as women are different than like their views on like race and other things that are important that make them disgusting humans. So I just I, I just I don't I feel like that's something else that's like perpetuated in the media a lot is like the the strong the myth of the strong black woman and it just makes them feel more comfortable like oh yeah we throw a strong black woman in there it's all right they can take racism and like movies like the help and like and i mean i don't want to say hidden figures but also like the way that the story was played out in hidden figures it's just like they didn't like really overcome like the obstacle of racism it was just like at the end of the day, like, oh my God, these women are so strong. They handled racism and they did this. And it was like, racism isn't properly handled in those films. It's not, well, I think you're right. First of all, Hidden Figures as a film would not exist without the success of the help. Financially is what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, So I think it's right to draw a comparison. And also let's not forget that Kevin Costner ended racism in Hidden Figures when he took a sledgehammer (laughs) to the NASA bathroom signs. (laughs) He just ended it right there and then. Racism was done. They said, this is all the racism these women had to deal with. Yeah. Boom. You know, uh, Taraji, <laughs> she gave one 
monologue i think she was wet or something <laughs> she came in from the rain and gave one like yelling monologue and racism was solved kevin costner was like oh better not be science down it's just a little you know it's it's there's a way to do it we've seen a way to do it in multiple other films um where you can acknowledge the scope of history Right. While still having your little dramatic moments, I understand you need those to happen. It's not of a documentary, course. but of course. Um, for all those people and critics that are like, what do you expect films to do? Like tell a whole history book? No, uh, no there's a way to do, do it. it accurately. That it's like, called skill. Make... Yeah. <laughs> it's called skill. <laughs> Go to film school. Yes. You're supposed to learn shit. Mm-hmm. And also, if you're a white person directing a film about black people, probably Consult not the best a look. black person. Yeah. yeah. Or oh, just don't do it. Pers- yeah. Put a black person on the team. Step down. <laughs> Here's a great example. Or just don't do it here. Like I, and I will talk about this later. You know, I fucking love Euphoria. I love <laughs> Euphoria. But Sam Levinson, he made a film recently, a little film called Malcolm and Marie. <laughs> I know you haven't seen it, but I have. I'm not going to watch it. So it's it okay. is even though that apparently Zendaya and John David Washington, they had input on the script, but it is a white, straight, cis man. He directed and wrote a film in which there are multiple monologues from a black filmmaker about how he's frustrated that people are grafting on an image onto him that he has to make black films and he has to say something. And that's just uncomfy. Like, yeah, Sam, I don't think you should have done that, bro very cringy knowing that like that came from a white man at the end of the day yeah like i don't care how much input like at, at, unless unless like you have a bipoc person who's because you know how like with the oscars you have to put for instance whose names are on it so that they will get their oscars if it wins like best screenplay yeah so unless you have a legit screenwriting credit from a from a bipoc person doesn't count i don't care how much like quote unquote input zendaya had on the script she's not credited right. as a screenwriter doesn't of count course. yeah exactly no because like, like you like, said at the end of the day who's going to benefit from winning best screenplay like not zendaya yeah. <laughs> who's going to benefit yeah like zendaya I love her to pieces but zendaya mm-hmm. off on the sideline being like i think my character should grunt here is not screenplay input yeah it's not like <laughs> i'm sorry so that film was like clear-cut example of that just you should not be making this film, bro. Yeah. You can like e- even, and I know Hollywood's a very complicated business, but like he could have written the script and sold it to someone for a black filmmaker to make. Right. He didn't do that. He's like, I have to make this film. <laughs> We're literally the only two characters are black people. Because oh, of course yeah. it was shot during oh. the pandemic and whatnot. I honestly can't even think about like if I were in, like I would love to be like a fly in the wall in the writer's room or something like nobody was like ah this right no ma'am um, no ma'am <laughs> uh anyway so one thing i wanted to discuss on my list i'm going down my little list of tropes mm-hmm. uh i would be remiss if i did not bring up the kill your gaze trope Oh gosh, yes. Let's unpack. <laughs> so in our little notes here, I actually, I wanted to make sure I had examples when applicable. And for this one, for examples, I literally just wrote countless because <laughs> I could not, I just can't. It happens all the time. Luckily, since this trope was like, since he, the inception of it as an idea, mm-hmm. 
it's been happening less and less however it is being replaced with like gay tragedy yeah which is actually a very from what I can tell it's kind of controversial in the discourse because it's like everyone has a right to tragedy so to speak like we but but at the same time if that's a majority of what there is yeah it's like what is that leading towards makes it seem like it's okay to just like shit on your gay characters and like not give them a proper ending (laughs) exactly um but in terms of like actual uh death of gay characters it happened a shit ton throughout the course of cinema history television history um and of course pretty much pre pre like the 90s Mm-hmm. There was almost zilch and it was very coded. Like, obviously there have been uh, LGBT people, specifically gay men and women working in Hollywood forever. Right. But in an effort to not get um, fucking arrested or fired, the coding had to be like extremely subtle. So like if you watch like Rope, for instance, Alfred Hitchcock film from 1946, mm-hmm. I believe, um, that has its own can of worms because the two coded gay men are the killers, of course, (laughs) but they're still very much coded as gay. Like, you know, the TikTok trend of it's like, tell me you're this without telling me you're this. Right. Like the first 90 years of Hollywood is like, tell me you're gay without telling me you're gay. (laughs) And it was just like coding out the wazoo. Um, But so that trope would just surface so many times because even if they're just being coded as gay, course they have to die um the the one that stuck out to me the most and and maybe if i may i could transition this real quick into another thing i wanted to discuss but mm-hmm. brokeback mountain um brokeback mountain of course jake Gyllenhaal's character uh is beaten to death for being gay um, and it played to the gay tragedy. Now, the reason why I wanted to elaborate on this is because the, I think the thing I struggle with the most in terms of gay media is this idea of like something being beautiful and being quote unquote good art that is still problematic. Like I personally, you know, I, you know, I, have a degree in film studies. I love mm-hmm. film. It's my passion. I think Brokeback Mountain is the best quote unquote gay film that I have seen. I just think it's really beautiful and artfully yeah. done. I think it's performed really well. However, we have to acknowledge that it still has the kill your gaze trope. It's still directed by a straight man. And the two protagonists are played by straight men. Yeah. <laughs> So it's tough. And this is, this is what I mean. It's like, you know, media with LGBT protagonists that are directed or written by straight folk or cis folk, et cetera. It's like, they obviously still have the potential to be good art. Right. Just like how I'm sure, I'm sure there's, there are films with black and other BIPOC protagonists that are directed by white folk that still have the potential to be good art, which of course is is subjective, Mm -hmm. but it's like, it's not an ideal starting point right like I think also another beautiful film is blue is the warmest color it's a French film from mm-hmm. 2013 and the director's a straight man yeah and it's like where do we it's just it's hard to suss out because that lens obviously is not going to change no matter how good the end product is and also you know film is 
collaborative. You know, there's editors that edit the footage after the fact and um, the score can do a lot. So it depends, but it's, it's just an interesting thing to suss out. Well, and this is why I like to preach like multiple truths can exist like you because it's true like I will say I have all these issues about Marvel I've been talking about I 100% love the MCU and it has become like my comfort thing Zach knows I used to watch Rogue One all the time like when I needed some type of like comforting from a piece of media you're like let me watch all these characters die again (laughs) okay I'm comforted freaking love Rogue One um (laughs) but it's also an anxiety thing like I just like to rewatch the same stuff because I know it's gonna happen and it's not like I'm not gonna like it or oh I'm not gonna you know whatever (laughs) now I've just been watching like and random MCU films over and over and over again because I'm like "Mm, I don't want to watch anything new I just want to watch what I like but like we can still criticize and acknowledge the issues with some of our favorite pieces of media. And that's why it's so frustrating to me when quote unquote allies will try and beat around the bush and still justify something, even though it's problematic. It's like, it's okay. You can criticize it. The director is not in the room. And even if he is in the room, tell him he can learn from it. It's okay. Like multiple truths can exist. We can celebrate things and also say like, eh, there are some issues with that. Like, it's okay. It's, this is, life is a process. We're all learning. We didn't build the society that we live in. We, you know, like a lot of things are out of our control. It's our job to fix it. And ignoring things is not the way to fix it. Exactly. <laughs> What's next on your list? Um, ugh, I guess just like, okay, somebody made a joke about this over the summer where they're like, companies are acting like Black people just started existing. Like, <laughs> it's just, <laughs> oh my God. Like, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, they're just like doing things, talking about racism and like placing Black people in places or like creating initiatives and scholarships and uh, grants and blah, blah, blah to benefit Black people squares on social media. Right. It's just like, y'all realize racism has been around longer than you have, as long as this country has been around. Like, this is nothing new. We're just getting more and more mad about it every day. (laughs) So I'm just hating like the disingenuine like placement of people of color because it's just really unfair. And of course, we'll talk about this. I mean, maybe we can talk about it now, but like, of course we want like character representation without like their identity being the sole purpose of their like placement in this film or TV show or book or whatever. But we also like want them to do other stuff. Like- Let's talk about it now. Cause I, yeah, yeah, let's talk about it now. (laughs) So I I initially wrote this. Um, It's another thing I struggle with. and And that's why like I- before this podcast, I reached out to you and I was like, do you have something to say about this from your perspective? Cause I <laughs> low-key think you probably do. Um, but I was like, you know, I wanna talk about, there's this really fine line that exists where we want LGBT characters mm-hmm. to exist where their arc exists independently from their sexuality. Right. But at the same time, like I, don't want the sexuality to be erased from Mm -hmm. their character so we can get into this later we're going to finish up with a bunch of good representations we both have in media um but it can be done I do think it's it's difficult 
because you know you have one end of the spectrum where a, a and i'm just saying gay because obviously i'm a gay man and that's what comes to mind first mm-hmm. on one end of the spectrum you have a gay character sassy gay best friend for instance which is the whole other trope um yeah. he exists solely because of sexuality mm-hmm. and or an accessory to probably some like cis white chick who's the protagonist you know um mm-hmm. that is like being defined by sexuality and he doesn't even have an arc to begin with right which is problematic you know and then on the other end of the spectrum you have like i guess i could tie this in with an- another point i didn't quite know where to fit it but you have a character perhaps that sexuality was not even addressed and this is this happens specifically in series and franchises where glee, glee we'll get to it <laughs> but like where their sexuality either didn't exist or was completely different and mm-hmm. as a, as a franchise or the series goes along whether it's influenced by the internet or influenced by trends or whatever they're like they're gay now for the sake of being gay the one i'm going to point out right now because it was so obvious to me um in the new star trek trilogy the ones that were released between 2009 and 2016. Sulu, as portrayed by John Cho, we like you, John. I'm sure this wasn't your decision, but sexuality, not interacted with, not engaged with for the first two films. He is a side character. At the end of the day, I'm sure they don't really care. But then, randomly, in Star Trek Beyond, the third one, he gets a husband and two kids, or one kid. I don't remember. But he gets a husband. Yeah. It means nothing and this is yeah. kind of in in concord in concurrence with um the t- random lesbian kiss in rise of skywalker and <laughs> the the random gay dude in endgame where it's like just because it's there doesn't mean it means anything there are two maybe three shots of john cho's husband in star trek beyond and mm-hmm. i don't even think he has a line <laughs> i don't even think he has a line and it just means nothing I don't think yeah. there's a kiss. I don't think there's a line. It means nothing to me and I'm not alone. And going back to Glee, yeah, like, and it's difficult because like you can, they can still end up being good representation, I think. Sure. Let's just, let's just, let's just talk about Santana. Yeah. Santana, I think, rest in peace, Naya, we miss you. You did a great job. I think it's good representation. And I think she's a complicated character in a good way. However, mm-hmm. we have to acknowledge that Santana was not created for the purpose of being a lesbian on that show. Yeah. She was yeah. not. She started out in season one and part of season two being a very stereotypically floozy, quote unquote, cheerleader who slept mm-hmm. with a bunch of straight men. And for whatever reason, I think it was, again, following trends. Ryan Murphy, we know he's a very greedy man when it comes to <laughs> characters. I can't explain it. Um I think he was like, yo, like, let's make Santana gay. Let's make Santana and Britney a thing. And it can benefit society and the culture in the long run, but it's worth being said. It's like you said, multiple truths. Great representation, I think, but she was never intended to be a lesbian. Yeah, by the end of it, I think like the Britney Santana story was absolutely beautiful and like they did a lot of good things with it. But the fact that it was like, oh man, we need another gay character. What do we do? And you just pluck from like it wasn't it, it at the beginning, it felt like there wasn't a lot of thought put into it when and like a lot of intention 
it was just like, oh, Santana, sure. <laughs> well, let's call it like it is. They got lucky because. Yeah. Well, yeah, you're right. They got lucky because Naya is talented and the writers, mm-hmm. I guess, had some good days because more often than not, <laughs> when that happens, it turns out like Sulu. You know, they did not get lucky. Sulu, it doesn't mean shit in Star Trek mm-hmm. Beyond. Yeah. And that's, and yeah, not real representation. When exactly. That it's just static and white bread. Exactly. So we can get back to, um, again, like that, that spectrum I was talking about, that line in the middle where it's like, you know, we want to acknowledge their identity, but not necessarily have it be the arc because that can also get yeah. tiresome. Yeah. How would you reflect on that in terms of race? Well, I guess it's kind of the same thing. Like I want to see a black person. I guess my my example was um, Lucas from Stranger Things. I feel like mm. they put Lucas in there literally to just be like, well, there's a black one. <laughs> like, and don't get me wrong. Lucas is important, I suppose. And like his <laughs> sister, obviously, right? <laughs> yeah and his sister obviously was a big part of stranger things three and that was great but like again they're and even though like even erica let's talk about erica she was a big part of season three but she was again like kind of portraying a stereotype like she's freaking brilliant but again that sassy like sidekick that you can't spell america without erica i i mean i do say that myself (laughs) for no reason i just say it (laughs) america without erica but like she's kind of a stereotype and it's frustrating. I want to see more. I want them to do more, but I also want them to recognize that they're black. And this is why Lucas bothers me in particular because he's black in the 1980s. And like, that's never an issue. I think he gets called like a racial slur one time and it's never addressed. And it's just like, he exists without any problems because like, it's just not, it's not realistic. And it just like, makes me think that there wasn't another black or brown person in the writer's room to be like, hey, this could be something that we could explore that would make other people feel seen in a real way that isn't just like, oh, hey, there's another black person on the screen, but like in a way that's like, that it for you form a connection with the character and you like find some type of relationship with them. It's just, well, it's also just, it's weird. That in Stranger Things that specifically, if I believe a season two when Max came along and Max and Lucas took a liking to each other, there's that thing. I don't know if there's a word for it. There should be a word of, of like portraying, portraying adversity, like portraying um, uh, um, aggression, whether it's micro or macro, but mm-hmm. not really like, for instance, uh, Billy, yeah. I distinctly remember this. Billy comes along and like, chastises max for hanging out with lucas and like yells at lucas but yeah it's it's like it's it's non-existent like the race thing is non-existent he it's it comes across more as like max why are you hanging out with a boy then it's like max why are you hanging out with a black boy exactly well and and it's like they chose to ignore that aspect of it yeah and you can guess like oh sure maybe billy's mad because he's black but he he needs to like okay he doesn't need to be like racist but i mean to make it meaningful to make it be like yes they talked about it he needs to say something about it it needs to be obvious it needs to be in your face because that's the reality of being black in america like it's in my face every fucking day yeah exactly and even if like you know it's like you said it's not like billy had to scream the n-word at him but 
in a it, like in it and i get it stranger things there's fucking monsters living in a world called the upside down <laughs> but if you want it like just a minimal effort like lucas could have scampered off and then the scene could have continued for 10 more seconds and billy could have muttered something under his breath right like just a little bit more like, oh yeah for you right. because it matters well, like that's intense. That's not okay. Exactly. And they spend so much time jumping through hoops, finding explanations for every other sci-fi aspect of that show to the point where you're like, hold up, I believe this. They couldn't have put racism in there. <laughs> well, that's the thing they want to, that's the thing with, with Hollywood. It's, it's all about palatability. And that's, that is, that is the thing at the central of all of this, because palatability is related to money and making money. So for instance, for the typical American, because as of now, America is still the biggest film market in the world. China is mm-hmm. neck and neck sometimes, but as of now, we're still the biggest. So right. they're they're thinking, what is baseline palatable to like the average American, average income, average family? Let's be honest, white, you know, cis, what's palatable? And to them, they're like, oh, you know, Lucas being told to go away, basically, in a generic fashion, is palatable. Like the 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 assumed straight white person watching it does not have to interact meaningfully with that interaction in any way yeah you know sulu having a non-verbal <laughs> husband for two shots in star trek beyond is palatable because yeah. they don't have to inter- there's no there's nothing to interact with there's nothing to dissect there's nothing to make someone uncomfortable or challenged mm-hmm. right and that's what hollywood loves for the most part unless they're trying to exploit it for awards or something like that yeah like with the help i hear you uh, although we did get the shit pie from the help which is just still like <laughs> that was day. absolutely incredible <laughs> oh my gosh i actually read the book before i watched the movie and i remember reading that and just being like they really did that they they put that in a piece of literature and they said boom a white and I woman was like, put that it- in a piece of literature <laughs> fun fact did you yes. know that the the guy who directed the help he's a gay man um white he's actually friends with the woman who wrote the book so it's a little white circle How of friends cute. making this yeah i'm just yeah. like thinking of that those tiktoks where the people jump up and down across their arms like they oh could God. do that and then yeah. be like white people using black like, narratives for money yeah <laughs> i mean the help did get octavia her oscar so right i mean it was like an enjoyable movie it was funny it was fine but i mean it's not the blacks it's not a, a the black story <laughs> no it's just filled with stereotypes i mean even if they're extremely well performed stereotypes they're stereotypes yeah that's a good way to put it yeah um when hundo which i'm actually that actually uh, we're killing these transitions i oh think I have, it's a good transition into um you know so in terms of race it seems pretty cut and dry you should not fucking perform as someone who's <laughs> of a race different than your own. Seems pretty cut right? and dry to me. Seems very um, obvious, but you know. <laughs> however, however, and maybe you can help me help me with this, which is rich, I know, because you're heterosexual. But um, I struggle with LGBT roles being portrayed by cis slash straight performers. Mm-hmm. And here's why. Because it's like a real mixed bag and it's not as it's not as aesthetically tied to the performance as race is you know mm-hmm. obviously right so you know i think about let's go back to brokeback 
like Heath Ledger and Jake Gyllenhaal, their performances in that film are incredible. And in that instance too, you know, they're asked to do love scenes and they do them, yeah. you know? So they're not necessarily shying away from like everything that those characters entail. Um, so I think in a sense, that's like, I guess you could call the standard for straight performers portraying gay characters. But then you have shit like James Corden in The Prom. Yeah. <laughs> where specifically he's playing a character who for a large part of the film is struggling to communicate with his mother. He hasn't communicated with his mother for I think at least over a decade or a decade and a half because when he came out to her she did not accept him. So like a B plot of the film is the struggle and Meryl Streep's character at one point fucking like calls her up and brings her in for a forced connection, which is really awkward. But the point is, is like <laughs> that his storyline involves the trauma of being a gay man, especially since his character is a little older. So he was growing up, you know, where we have to assume that his character is growing up like during the AIDS crisis. Yeah. It just rings false. And mm -hmm. that's why that is like more of an issue. And then of course, there's a long history of cis actors portraying trans characters. Again, yeah. sometimes it is a good performance. Like Hilary Swank is Brandon Tina and Boys Don't Cry, which that's a whole other can of worms because Boys Don't Cry was directed by an out lesbian, um, uh, Kimberly Pierce. But it's like a fantastic performance. You're still a cis woman portraying a trans character yeah. um or jared leto jared leto played he won an oscar for playing a trans woman in dallas buyers club no a good performance you're a cis actor right. so well, and at the end of the day you took an opportunity from a trans person and you got an oscar like <laughs> ex exactly i think i think and again i'm not a trans person so it's not my decision to make Mm -hmm. I think it's more of an issue for cis performers to portray trans characters because that's just, that's a whole different identity that they can never understand or they can understand, but they're not ever going to live it. Yeah. Um, I think straight playing gay is more complicated because at the same time, let's just call it like it is, obviously gay actors want to play straight characters too. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, I don't want any gay performers or lesbian performers to be relegated to just playing gay or lesbian roles you know yeah so that's kind of a murky area for me mm -hmm. um but james corden is just a no, no. <laughs> and he got a golden globe nomination are you kidding me i know that the globes are a joke but no yeah tough <laughs> <laughs> tough look for everyone involved honestly Tough look for the uh, Hollywood Foreign Press who have like no black people saying, oh, we're working on it. <laughs> oh my God. That ceremony was just so funny. And also just the, pro the promise literally about like trying to get two gay young women to be able to go to a prom together and enjoy it. Yeah. And the one performance nomination it gets is a straight actor. <laughs> the tone deafness for me. It, yeah. It's like they don't even see what they're doing. Like, do you understand how like harmful this is and i also don't understand it's like if it's okay for it to happen in other areas of your film like 
I don't remember the characters' names. I don't even remember the actors' names. I apologize. But the two, they're not the leads, which is kind of a problem with the story, but whatever. Mm. But the two young women who are playing this young lesbian couple are actually gay women, the, the performers. So they, they're able, they can do that, but they can't cast a gay actor as Barry, is his character's name, in the prom. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, like Andrew Rannells, who's also playing a gay character, but it has nothing to do, is just sitting there on set to, to cast him. Yeah. A gay man. Like <laughs> the casting on that film makes no sense to me. I could have a whole podcast episode about the proms casting, but mm-hmm. I'm going to stop talking about it now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. It's special. Uh, we can also, another trope that bothers me is uh, predatory gay men and predatory trans women. Mm-hmm. I'm sure this, there are examples of predatory lesbians and predatory bi people but specifically it is usually predatory gay men and trans women um in media which it's i think this is actually the most harmful trope and stereotype um that has persisted i I also don't think this happens as much in the last like half decade thankfully but like just like nameless gay men and trans women that are used as props to they're 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 like used to disgust the straight audience in like again countless i couldn't even list them but just like countless films and tv shows throughout history it reinforces this dangerous stereotype and it like it also encourages violence towards the lgbt community and it furthers like their othering like think about for, for our listeners, think about how many like comedies you've seen. This happens a lot in comedy where mm-hmm. like some, the straight male protagonist is at an event or goes to prison and there's some predatory gay character there because the subtext is, and there, there are actually some amazing video essays about this on YouTube about this whole like hetero panic about being raped by a man yeah it is persistent particularly like in the comedy genre because apparently some people think that's funny yeah you know like but just Mm -hmm. think about like how many instances of like drop the soap joke have you heard how many shots how many cutaways have we gotten like in prison comedies or whatever where it it cuts like a big burly man sometimes he's black even where the implication is like he's going to rape the kid. Like how many times think about it. Also like, okay, you know, friends is like one of my favorite shows. And I, this is another instance where like, I love something, but I'm also going to critique the shit out of it. I mean, we know friends has like literally no black or brown characters. And then if they are there, they suck. But also there's uh, one of the early seasons of friends. There's a moment where Joey realizes that his tailor has been like sexually assaulting him for years and he doesn't know. So he sends Chandler to this tailor and the same thing happens to Chandler and they make a joke out of it. Like it's absolutely unreal watching that and being like, how was this allowed? Yeah, there was, I was just watching, um, I was just watching an episode of sex and well, not justice, probably like two months ago. Uh, but the last time I saw an episode of sex in the city, was with my coworker Gabby and there's mm-hmm. an episode and I keep in mind this is like 
this is like 2002 yeah. you know um there's an episode with black trans women that are outside of samantha's i think it's like a new apartment or something and she can't get sleep because these three and they're alluded to be sex workers these three black trans women are being too loud for her and the amount of times i'm not going to say it but the t-slur is used in the episode is baffling especially when you think about how like you know people think of sarah jessica parker and goddamn cynthia nixon is out and proud now but like these people these alleys like they're dropping the tea slur multiple right. times in the episode it's it's really jarring yeah well and the fact that it got as far as to like being in the episode being published and like it's just like nobody said anything or maybe they did say something and it was in a harmful environment and nobody was listened to yeah and see people like the 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 people that are like really doing like the toxic devil's advocating um usually straight white men they always seem to go to this excuse of like oh this sort of shit never happens these days and it's like bro mm, but it does been happening like and it, it's so normalized it's so yeah, normalized to the point the where 50s. they don't think that it's happening yeah yeah like this isn't the 50s like we you know we can drop examples within the last decade mm-hmm. yes know. yes Oh my God. And they do that with racism too. Race, that doesn't happen. Yeah, it fucking does every no, single day. Yeah. And I'm sure like in terms of predatory stereotypes, obviously that can apply to BIPOC too. Like how many times, again, like I think comedies are the worst. Like if we direct our attention to like what we could classify as the bro comedies that were really prevalent in the 90s and in the 2000s how many times were there jokes made on like black men's expense about them being like gangsters or drug dealers or pimps or whatever oh yeah oh yeah oh, so many times and again it's like shows like the office where it's like yeah i like to watch that show but at the same time i'm gonna critique it because like the fact that this is being used in as like a punchline over and over again it's just like okay it's it's and especially when it's used as a punchline by non black or brown people like black people can make jokes about their own stereotypes like go ahead but when it's white people in the writer's room coming up with jokes that like make a punchline out of black and brown issues it's it's just it's not funny <laughs> exactly like you can again if you have skill <laughs> if you have skill as a writer director performer whatever you can there's a way you can subvert stereotypes if they're written well, perform well, et cetera. I actually wrote this down to in my notes relating to the gay best friend, sassy gay friend stereotype, which isn't so much toxic as it is redundant and cliche as hell. And I'm tired of seeing it. Um, yeah. But there are really good subversions out there. Like, you know, Shit's Creek, David's mm -hmm. character is very much like that stereotype, but over time it's subverted and David well, and actually, you can tell it's a chosen personality too like David he, is who he is because that's who he wants to be and he cannot be that if he feels like it well yeah and I think I think the the great thing and this is almost like untapped potential the great thing with the gay best friend stereotype or just like the sassy gay man is that there's a potential there for you to subvert something else entirely that is constituting that personality trait other than the sexual like his sexuality mm -hmm. so in david's case he's a spoiled brat who comes from a rich family right and they right. subvert that or like um 
in uh, I was gonna bring this up later, but in Booksmart, um, George and oh, are you forgetting characters' George? names and like your favorite movie? Oh my god, hush! I remember. Oh my god! It came out in twenty nineteen. <laughs> Thank you very much. Remember your years. But anyway, um, how am I supposed to remember my years when we've been in a pandemic for over a year? True. Anyway, George in this movie in Booksmart for instance, he's ridiculous. Like he is a ridiculous boy. He is, he is out in that film, but it is not because of his sexuality. It's because he's in the drama club and he's just like the most dramatic kid at school. And that's why he's the way he is. Not because he's gay. Like that's almost like an afterthought in a way that I appreciate. And it's (laughs) funny. Like it's funny, you know? So it can work. It's just like how it can work with BIPOC characters, but you have to Mm -hmm. have skill and And the right representation in the room like somebody needs to be able to check you on jokes if you're making racial or like stereotypical jokes exactly and i just remember the name of the other one alan it was george and alan and booksmart both very funny if you haven't seen booksmart go see it please thank you so we're going to close out this podcast on a positive note Mm -hmm. and talk about good representation especially since at least personally I think I've alluded to good representation throughout the rest of the pod so I'm excited to like go back to that and actually elaborate on what I was talking about yeah um (laughs) I'm excited because like some of the example well not some one of the examples that I wrote down is just going to like bring back memories of my childhood did you hear Sherry yeah that bitch growling okay she does that when she gets like mad that she can't get like to a treat or something she'll like growl at some of her toys it's really funny wait i just realized actually we missed something what something needs to be discussed we need to talk about call me by your name oh yeah i forgot you wanted to talk about that i do (laughs) like we need okay just to preface though i haven't seen the movie i only read the book that's fine. That actually might be helpful. Okay. I have seen the movie. Also, I read the book like two. It was like okay. when the movie came out. So it was a while ago. So no I need don't to preface. You know, you can give input. Okay. I just need to, I, it's important to call out. I can't have a podcast about bad media representation without talking about Call Me By Your Name. Because, <laughs> <laughs> because nine out of 10 gays seem to think it's okay to defend this film for multiple reasons. This is proof that yo she's going off (laughs) sorry sorry i'll mute myself okay this is proof that just because a gay person is directing a gay narrative does not mean it's good or not problematic so (laughs) nine out of ten gays love to defend this film because of that and then they're also like oh it was italy in the 80s okay last last time i checked like the country and the time period does not make a difference in the fact that like this is grooming and statutory up in my gay movie it's like chris harrison being like oh that one chick went to a racist antebellum party two years ago so like cut her some slack like okay was racism okay to 2018 no thank you like was it okay (laughs) in 1987 for a 25 year old to knowingly start pursuing a 17 year old it's problematic honey and also again clear-cut example like at least heath and jake did dry humping at least keith and jake made out and like that like they committed because they're actors and they committed to their role 
Right. Timothy Chalamet and Mr. Cannibal over here are out here. Uh, uh, <laughs> Just calling it like it is. Right. Um, <laughs> they're out here like, oh my God, this makes me so angry. I don't understand how in a film directed by a gay man, adapted by a gay man, the screenplay, there is a heterosexual sex scene towards the beginning of the film. We see it. We see humping. We see tits. We see it. And then the big moment, like the big moment when Elio and Oliver are finally going to boink, it, it is more than an hour into this film. We've been leading up to this. They finally get to boink. They get to the point where they're like making out and they take their shirts off. And then the camera pans to the window and it cuts. And it's like the next day. Yeah. And that just pisses me off to no end. And I don't want to hear people that are like, Oh, it's subtlety. Like it's an artistic choice. Of course, and it's art. It's an artistic choice. The oh, problem is, off. is that earlier yeah. in the movie, we saw two straight people getting it on like no one's business. If you're gonna show me two straight people like full on getting it on, why is it that you're not gonna show me our two like lead ass characters who are in love? Smack like it makes no sense, and it's offensive. Like straight yeah. up. Oh, one hundred percent. you yeah. You know it's because in this instance, Timothy Chalamet and Army Hammer, both are hetero, one's a psychopath. You know that they signed. <laughs> both are hetero and on top of it, one of them is a psychopath. I will never get over that. I'm still sure. Um, but like, you know that in their contracts, they both signed something that said, we're only going to go this far because those exist, like those writers exist. And it's just so transparent to me. And on top of all of this, it's, it's like the gay tragedy thing. Like they can't be together. They can't be happy. Um, I don't care how well performed it was. I don't care how beautiful it looks. Call me by your name pisses me off. And especially since it, get de- it gets defended so rampantly. I want to know from reading the book, like, oh, obviously I'm assuming the ending is the same, equally tragic. Yeah, it's the same idea, like tragic ending, blah, blah, blah. But it's just frustrating because like you said, it's like, it's such a buildup and it's, I don't, again, I didn't see the movie, so I don't know how like much they play into it. Did you see the movie? (laughs) (laughs) I just, I don't want to say stuff without like sounding, it sounds stupid, but like (laughs) in the book, the whole focus is like the level of intensity and like intimacy there is involved in being in a relationship with someone aside from just like physical intimacy. And so it's just like, there was a lot of buildup and then it was like, uh, it ended up being just another stereotypical gay tragedy and you're just like okay I didn't get what I really wanted from that but okay <laughs> fair enough yeah okay so now we're going to discuss good representation and end on a positive note we both have multiple examples I kind of went ham and wrote down a lot so I may be talking a little bit more um Okay, but, well, why don't you edit yourself a little bit so that you're not <laughs> talking so much more than I am? I just want to let the people know okay, there are. I have, I have good. three. I think one, two. Oh no, I only have two. Okay, go off. I thought I had more. One. Okay, I have two. Why don't you edit yourself down to three? Um, I'll. How about I do like because I did good and bad. So why don't I do my good? Because my good counterparts, my bads. Well, sure. Um, Let's tell me, tell me why uh, clearly like the, you know, I know that your first good interacts with your 
with a bad note that you put. So why don't we elaborate on that? I actually vehemently agree with your first point. Um, I have okay, to say- good. That, I was nervous about it. I was like, did I like, I was just nervous. Maybe I was like too blinded by my whitewashed childhood, but okay. <laughs> my first one, and this is one that I'm looking forward to a lot because I feel like my good and my bad both like shaped my personality, but Raven Baxter, I think is a good representation of a black person in the media because- From that So Raven. Yes, from that So Raven, because she is black, but she has so many other things that like shape who she is. I mean, and she's not, I mean, yeah, she's sassy, she's funny, she's goofy, but she's also like intelligent and she loves and she's everything. (laughs) And she's a, a fashionista. Okay. And then they also address her blackness in the show. So I think that's, I think that's great. And it, it shaped who I am as a woman today. No, I'm honestly here for you. (laughs) I'm, I'm here for you. I'm here for that because that was like the show for me and not to be like, you know, like, Oh my God, like Raven is such an icon for me. Is that like, no, but like, I think that's it. Isn't it? Raven was just so goddamn funny on that show and exuded such personality that existed like in tandem with her blackness and also outside it but not in a not in a way that the show was ignoring because you're right like they did interact with that multiple times it's like they somehow made it work where she just existed and I think it's because she was her whole self and also because that show and her character was so laced with Raven herself as a person. Yes. Which doesn't happen a lot, you know? Um, it happens a lot yeah. on sitcoms, which is what this was. Mm-hmm. I think that just all made it work. And of course, it's yeah. like, you know, if you want to get real academic on this, it that show existed in a perfect little microcosm at the perfect time where like <laughs> a middle-class black family where there's one moneymaker the dad who owns a restaurant and they live in what is now a multi-million dollar home in san francisco yeah that show could only exist at that time and place where it did in like the early 2000s yeah and it worked so well i mean i think it was the first disney channel original show to like make it to 100 episodes which doesn't seem like a lot now because it's like every run-of-the-mill show but like that was huge. And it was a black family at the center of that story. Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I really think that like the, their one, like they did that black history month episode. I think that was like pretty like for Disney channel, right. like they straight up had, I remember her name too, Chloe, the manager at Sassy's. Uh, they straight up had her say, I don't hire, black I don't hire people. black people. Yes. Which is I like, remember watching that and being like, Oh, <laughs> I think that's kind of huge for Disney Channel in the early 2000s. You want to know why? Because Disney also be like, I don't hire black people. (laughs) Okay, I don't, I'm not calling Disney out. I've never experienced anything with Disney before, but. Girl, they're not going to. It could be better. I mean, I know that, but I'm saying, you know. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. But that show was just great. I 100% agree with you. I love Chelsea too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A goof. They just, just a great show. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then on the other end of the spectrum, unfortunately, Raven Simone is also involved, but her character in Kim Possible, which is also one of my favorite shows, 
she again is like a stereotype of like the sassy black best friend but like she they don't go anything beyond that we don't know shit about Monique and then she actually literally is Kim's sidekick in the movie A A Sitch in Time which we later find out uh, pushes her to become like an absolute badass or she is she is the main character but it's just like that that was per- that's the perfect example of like the stereotypes i we see growing up um that are harmful so which did she make it into the live action remake of kim possible you think i watched that <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if you're such a fan uh no i was busy re-watching the old good episodes from my childhood on disney plus i refuse to watch the live action i'm sorry i just can't bring myself to do that well sometimes we get surprised i think we were both surprised by high school musical the musical series but it's not like that was a reboot like that was a a, just a a weird continuation yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) that's a weird show weird concept but great execution (laughs) There's gay representation in that. Okay. Yes. Yes, (laughs) ma'am. Very cute. Um, Okay. Well, so one thing I wanted to, I have like a a laundry list of uh, films that I will run through, but I did have a couple of recent TV shows, actually a trifecta that I wanted to dive into in terms of good representation. So I did address this earlier and I know you haven't seen it, but um, I love Euphoria. I think Euphoria is just aesthetically an achievement, but um, we have Rue and Jules at the center of it, uh, Zendaya and Hunter Schaefer, who I actually think are really monumental LGBT characters because it's a really finely, again, like they finally strike that balance that we were talking about earlier where their sexuality isn't erased because they're able to find love for each other. And both of them interact with it in some way. Like on Euphoria, we get a lot of narration and monologue. So we hear from both of them that like, this is not something like not an attraction, not in a relationship that they anticipated. Like they started out as being like instant best friends and it evolved into something romantic where they feel like they can't be without each other. and it's very organic, but they're also like characters of them, right? Like their problems, their big problems on the show have nothing to do with that attraction, that love. Yeah. So I love them and they're complicated. Um, you know, I think they're great. And also um, Hunter Schaefer, who's a trans model. This is actually, I think one of her, or if not her first acting role, and she's great. But um, Sam Levinson did a good ally thing where he invited her to collaborate on the script, like actually collaborate because he's not trans and he didn't feel comfortable writing for a trans character, especially one who's basically like the second protagonist of the show behind Rue. So good job, Levinson, you know, good ally (laughs) move. Good job. Um, And then speaking of Euphoria, uh, I sent you a Snapchat about this a few days ago, but I haven't actually talked about it with you in depth, but there's another HBO show recently released, like very recently released within the last week called Generation, which is clearly trying to um, 
follow somewhat of a euphoria model in terms of being like shocking in your face show about teens. It, uh, and I, I told this to Ely, uh, it's bad. I've watched two episodes. It is a bad show. It is, it is try hard. It is in your face, not in a good way. It's just poorly written and it's overacted. However, I have to give a props for representation because similar in a way to euphoria. And I, I suspect we're going to see this a lot with, with, I guess, for lack of a better term, like Gen Z teen shows, um, just having it be out there and having it not be a thing. Like, I, I don't know the correct way to say this and there's not a word for it either, but I like how in shows like euphoria and in generation from what I've seen so far. And in the next show I'll discuss for the most part, like we're not getting these very, like they're stereotypes in their own right of straight guys that like bully the shit out of gay characters. Like that's its own stereotype. And of course that happens, but I kind of like how that it's not happening in these shows. And if it is, it's not happening because of their sexuality. And I think that that sounds weird because it's like, oh, how progressive that like they're not getting bullied, but but it is because that's something I always saw in in my media growing up. Like like let's name drop Glee again. Like Kurt was like people bully the shit out of Kurt for like the first couple seasons, and that's all I had when I was in high school. So it's almost like when it exists, it makes you more paranoid about facing that. And so I like that it shows like euphoria and generation teens that might be watching it they're not they don't have to feel that i guess pressure of being them true selves because of that fear that the media is bringing and instead it's more of an encouragement yeah for sure like i said don't think generation is a good show don't watch it um (laughs) (laughs) i just think it's poorly written um but anyway the last of the three shows i want to discuss and you know i hold this show incredibly close to my heart mm-hmm. is love victor which right. you have seen 80 percent of yes 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 sir <laughs> um and the reason why i want to talk about love victor is mainly i've never seen you know i watch a lot of film i watch an okay amount of tv but i've i've never seen a piece of media tackle the idea of a queer chosen family in this way before like in this tender way like it's always there unspoken because as like a queer person like you don't have to speak it like you just kind of know that that's a thing yeah but love victor puts a voice to it and specifically in the eighth episode there's just multiple like really beautiful conversations because the whole premise is like victor he's not sure what he is or what he wants. Yeah. Which I also like, like he's legit not sure. Like he does not know until a good way through the first season that he is actually like, he identifies as gay. Um, Again, like it's about his sexuality, obviously, but he's complicated. There's more to him than that. Well, and that's, I think if anything, that's like more realistic, like sexuality is complex and fluid and it can be difficult for some people to come to a realization or to come to an understanding with themselves, like as far as identity. So I think that's something that we don't like get to see all the time when we get like LGBT stories is like the journey leading up to like self-discovery. It's just like a plop a gay character in and they're like, yep, I'm gay. This is it. Yeah, exactly. And fr- and just from like a 
like a storytelling perspective. That's what makes Victor such a strong conduit in that first season because he's trying to explore, like it's easy to graft exposition of LGBT themes onto him and have it not be jarring because he's exploring those things as well. Like, you know, there's a scene towards the end of that season where he's with Brahm from Love, Simon and like bless his heart, but like Victor is like, he sees all these gay men playing basketball with each other. Like it's a gay sports league, which of course there's tons of those, mm-hmm. but right. he literally doesn't know. So he says like, these are all gay people. Like he's shocked by that, which oh. is kind of cute, but it's like, it's, it's great. And it's just great. And of course he's, he, he's dealing with other things such as like the acceptance of his family. There's family drama. It's layered. I just think it's a great show and there's beautiful moments and it kind of, it was a breath of fresh air and unexpected in a way because it righted like the wrongs of love Simon. Like yeah, love Simon is a perfectly entertaining film. I really enjoy it. It's cute. <laughs> I cried. Yeah. But we have to acknowledge Simon is like the most straight passing gay character <laughs> in the history of gay characters. Like he's straight passing. He's cis, he's white. His family is very wealthy, you know? So it's like a very easy ride for him and it's kind of funny watching it back, you know, mm-hmm. Simon himself in narration, he's even like, my parents are super liberal. I don't know what I'm worrying about. <laughs> yeah. And so it's like, I get that we have to start somewhere. And that's what a lot of, um, that's what a lot of defenders of love Simon were saying when it came out. And I remember this where they're like, Hey, if you want something like a theoretical love victor in the future, like this has to do well. Cause again, that's how Hollywood works. They, yeah, they no, float out totally palatability right. and if the pal- mm-hmm. palatability does well, then that potentially opens the door for something more elaborate and risk-taking in the future. And I think Love, Victor did that. So props to them. Season two is coming in June. Pump for that. Ow. I'm going to cry some more. Love to see it. Anyway, what you got? What's your other good representation? Um, well, I was just going to applaud Black Panther just purely based on the fact that we see Black people doing a lot of different things. Like, they're not just the hero. They're the hero. They're moms, their daughters, their princes, their princesses, their scientists, their fighters, their warriors, their fishermen, they're everything. And the best part of it, this is probably going to sound weird, but the best part is that they don't exist to serve white people. Like, they are exclusively Wakandan and I love that because I feel like a lot of times when we do see black people in those roles it's like like again they're serving white people but this is a case where they're not and it's just like it's so perfect to have something that's just for us and I love it yeah honestly shout out to Ryan Coogler I think from a from a white boy's perspective Ryan Coogler and Barry Jenkins like really know us up in terms of making films that highlight the black experience but also celebrate it at the same time you know yeah am i saying that right it's still like a good superhero movie and they also touch on the fact that like american racism creates villains for non-americans Ooh. Ooh. incredibly true Rest in peace, Chadwick. Chadwick is, I don't know if you saw this on a side note, Chadwick got uh, a posthumous Oscar nomination yesterday. Mm -hmm. And let's just point out the obvious, he's going to win. Well, yeah. The guilt would be too strong. 
Well, people were mad that like Lakeith wasn't nominated in the lead actor category. And some people were like, it's also rumored that they all put, that they didn't put Lakeith in that category just so that like Chadwick could have his moment. Well, yeah, well, it's, again, like very political. The awards are very yes, political. Yes. Like, it's also a game. Like you have to submit in the categories you think you're going to win. Yeah. I mean, Anthony Hopkins won best actor in Silence of the Lambs and he has, I think, 14 minutes of screen time. It's political. And also keep in mind that like the studios, it's the studios that that put in and submit for the nominations and they choose um, what and who it's for based on chances straight up. So of course, yeah, very political, but we're happy for both of them. Chadwick's probably going to win because posthumous nominees tend to win because it's a guilt thing, but also plus white guilt. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, like yeah, but he, he deserves it, you know. He does. We, yeah, we haven't he had, is a fantastic as- actor. Yeah, we haven't had a posthumous Oscar winner since Heath Ledger for The Dark Knight 13 years ago. Also, an incredible performance deserved it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we'll see what happens. It's not till the end of April, but speaking Which is of crazy, yeah, it is. It, yeah, it's a pandemic, man, fucks everything up. I wanted to real quick run through. I I listed a bunch of films that are not directed by straight white people that I think are great. I just wanted to run through them. Actually, I do have an exception. I put Booksmark on here, which is directed by a straight white woman. Um, But I know I already talked about George and Alan. I also just want to point out Amy, who's like one of the protagonists. And she's also a great example of sexuality acknowledged but she's not struggling with it she is who she is she gets to have sex with a couple ladies love that also a great movie watch book smart thank yeah, you truly <laughs> um uh i need to acknowledge moonlight mm-hmm. directed by barry jenkins a straight black man but it's a masterpiece and there's lots of tenderness and sensitivity there uh the kids are all right which is directed by lisa cholodenko who's an out lesbian uh, a great movie. Uh, again, like Annette mm-hmm. Benning and Julianne Moore are not lesbians. They portray them. Right. <laughs> but we already talked about that. Still yeah. a great movie. Uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, directed by Celine Sciamma, who's also an out lesbian. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, a beautiful French film that came out within the last year and a half. Recommend. The Half mm-hmm. of It, directed by Alice Wu, who's an out lesbian. That's on Netflix and it came out last year. And that was a big surprise to me. Um, also just very tender. That's a running theme. These are just very tender and sensitive and authentic, which is the point. Um, Pariah directed by Dee Reese and out lesbian. I think Pariah is probably the only film with, with a, with a black queer lead, black queer female lead ever made question mark i think there was like there was like rafiki which is a nairobi uh, it was a film set in nairobi that came out a couple years ago but in terms of like american i think it might be the only one that exists and it's great um it came out a decade ago uh carol is direct you know it's it's based it's based on the price of salt by patricia highsmith and it's directed by uh, a gay man i love carol i think it's beautiful again two cis straight actresses mm-hmm. doesn't mean it's not sensitive right um tangerine which is directed by a straight man but when i this is why i talk about like genuine input there was genuine input from 
Maya Taylor and Kiki Rodriguez, who, believe it or not, are playing two Black trans sex workers and are two Black trans sex workers in real life. Or they used to be, and now they're actresses. Incredible. Like, again, <laughs> thanks, Sean. That easy, doing, folks. Yeah, thanks, Sean, for doing the right thing. Um, also, I have bias because Sean Baker is my favorite filmmaker, but it's a fantastic film. Recommend. Um, and in fact, they had to shoot it on an iPhone because no one would give them funding to make a movie about two trans sex workers. Oh my which, God, that's incredible. Which is why, oh dude, I literally wrote like a 20 page film studies paper on this because it's so fascinating. Um, wow. But yeah, people don't want to fund films with that. So anyway, um, speaking of trans women, a fantastic woman who is directed, it's directed by a cis man. His sexuality is TBD. I could not find it. But Daniela Vega is a trans woman and also gave lots of input for her character. And lastly, the Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, directed by Stephen Elliott, who's a gay man, is the best movie about drag ever, period. Goodbye, good night. And it's honestly kind of a trailblazer because it came out in 1994, whereas like all of the examples I just listed came out in the last decade. Mm-hmm. But Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert is great. You have, well, <laughs> I just forgot, Terrence Stamp yeah. playing a trans woman. Terrence Stamp is a cis man. Um, and you have Hugo Weaving and Guy Pierce playing gay men, and they are both straight men. I think Guy Pierce might be bi for some reason. I'm thinking this, but still a great film. And I'm done with my laundry list of films now. No, that was lovely. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and that concludes our discussion on good representation. I hope we've counterbalanced it enough with all the shitty representation we discussed prior yes there's a plethora um but yeah i think this was a good note to end on should we say bye we do our uh have a good night oh my god (laughs) okay so (laughs) I, i i in the edit for the last episode i was debating leaving that in or not and I left it in just because it's so funny to me and I will continue to think it's funny and I (laughs) do you think we would owe um Ian any commission if we made that our official sign off for the podcast um no (laughs) you're right I think it is a a a good way to just say you know have a good night have a good night it's just a good like it's good it is good. And you know what? It is a classic saying in our friendship. It's just, it's, it's very on brand. It is. And I think it is time to say have a good night because um, for those of you listening, it seems like Sherry is getting into naughty zone again. Cause Ely has yeah, to keep leaving the she, frame. She woke up and now she's busy. I've tried treats and of course, you know, those are good, but it, it is, it is time for her to go out and <laughs> she's getting antsy and i think she's like ready for bed but like my bed is i have a murphy bed and it's flipped into the wall so she can't access it so i think she's just getting like frustrated she said mom i got a pissed yeah also my laptop is dying so okay okay. well we'll say goodbye to the people (laughs) okay people thank you for listening please tune in for the next episode um hope you enjoyed it hope you learned hope you laughed hope you loved maybe you cried maybe you cried maybe you cried you know i I cry all the time fun fact i cried for 20 minutes straight and i just edited it out so you guys don't even know (laughs)
You guys don't even know. I cried for 20 minutes. <laughs> we took a cry break. It's okay. We did. Yeah. Just kidding. We're cold, no. heartless. I don't even remember the last time I cried. Actually, that's a lie. I cried today when I found out Killing Eve was ending after next season. Yeah, literally shut up. You say that all the time and then it's like, I'm crying again. I'm a Gemini. Leave me alone. Right. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, all right, everyone. Have a good night. Bye. <laughs>